Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey guys, happy Mother's Day. Um, I've always thought Mother's Day is a special day. Well, I don't overstate that. I've usually throughout my life thought Mother's Day was a pretty special day. Um, This year, uh, it seems obvious, but my appreciation for what Mother's Day is all about has gone up. And the main reason that I can appreciate Mother's Day more now than ever before is because something happened five months ago, and I watched a birth happen, and it was crazy. And this is my first time seeing it, because I went to Christian schools, so if you're in public school, like, I mean, you've seen this, and you were scarred at a young age, Um, but for me, at Christian school, you know, they edit it because they can't show, you know, like, naked ladies and stuff, and so... You know, it's like lady and man go to the hospital. You know, there's a shot of the lady's face. She's in some pain, kind of pans down, then it cuts out. And then they're like happily walking out of the hospital with their baby. And I always thought, oh, man, that doesn't seem that bad. People always make it sound really bad. I watched it, and man, you can't unsee that. That is crazy. There's a hospital room that looks like a crime scene at the end, and it is crazy. And I have a new appreciation for who moms are. So my mom was down visiting after Avra was born, and um, I went to her and I said, Mom, I am so sorry. (laughs) A, that you went through that, and B, that this is what you ended up with as a result of going through that. So uh, Mother's Day is awesome. Moms are pretty amazing, and they go through... Uh, crazy stuff, uh, so that we can all exist. Um, To celebrate Mother's Day, because we think it's important, um, first of all, we'd encourage you, please do some awesome special things for your moms. Tell them that you love them. uh, Take them out. I don't know. Do nice stuff. Yard work for them. I don't know. Whatever moms are into, uh, just do that. Um, Hope that you're celebrating that. We can't celebrate that for every mom, but we did set up a photo booth today. We thought it'd be cool if here at church this morning you could just capture a cool memory from this morning, have a nice picture. Uh, Also, to sweeten the deal, there is a contest. If you just post it online with the hashtag that's out there, you can win a $100 home hardware gift card. So this means if you win, you don't have to buy your mom a Mother's Day present. So this is like a really sweet hookup. So make sure you use the photo booth and post your photos and stuff like that. and that would be awesome. Um, I, I want to quickly say as well, on, on a bit more of a serious note, um, I know a lot of times when we celebrate different uh, like Hallmark calendar things and uh, holidays and stuff like that, uh, for a lot of us, they're uh, really cool times of year. But for a lot of people, some of these things do represent uh, some, kind of some hard memories and, and some hardships and stuff like that, maybe loss and stuff like that. And I also want to acknowledge people who are maybe struggling with that today on Mother's Day. Uh, you know, maybe you've had some challenges there, some loss there. And I uh, just want you to know that we love you so much as well. Um, and, and the photo booth is open. Anybody can use it. Anybody can enter the contest. Uh, even if you don't have kids here, you don't have kids or whatever, we'd love for you to enter that. So uh, make sure after the service you go. And even if your mom isn't here, you find that special lady and in your life, and you uh, go uh, take a picture with them. And in case you didn't catch it, single guys in the room, I just, like, put the ball on the tee for you there, okay? Say, 
Uh, so that girl that you've been checking out across the auditorium on Sunday mornings for the last month or two, uh, you can say, the pastor said we have to take a picture together, and I always do everything the pastor says, so, <laughs> so make sure you do that. What better place to meet your future spouse in an awesome church community like this? That's, I mean, I think that's why we started Young Adults here anyway, so um, <laughs> just joking. I don't know if that was young adults clapping. I don't want to look too awkward. Okay. Anyways, go to the photo booth, win a $100 home hardware card, and buy yourself some awesome stuff, and tell your moms that they are amazing. Um, so we're starting this new series, uh, kicking it off on Mother's Day, uh, about parenting. It's called The Real Plan Parenthood. Uh, I realize the title's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, we're not trying to be uh, overly... Um, you know, overly political or anything like that, but uh, the world has this idea of parenthood and planning that goes into it, mostly being about the timing of when you have kids and if you should have kids or if you should give birth uh, to that kid or, you know, and stuff like that, and maybe there's some interesting discussion there, but we believe uh, that from a biblical perspective, uh, the real thrust for uh, parenthood being planned is to have some goals and to have some really simple goals. I think one of the problems with us in life, uh, you know, there's a problem sometimes we have no goals or we have maybe misguided or not very good goals, but I think one of the problems that we face in our context is a lot of times we have too many goals. You know, if you're like me, you want to eat healthy, you want to work out lots, you want to spend time reading your Bible, you want to make lots of money, you want to like give lots of money, you want to do nice things, and you, you have all these things in life, and you want to do them all, and at the end of the day, you start to realize, I, I just can't do them all. I'm just not that awesome. In general, most of us are average human beings. That's why average is what it is. Average is average. And so it's possible for us to pick a few things and say, I can do really well at that. In these couple areas, I can hit home runs. In general, you're probably not going to be able to hit home runs in every area. And I would suggest that if you have too many goals, your eyes set on too many things, it's probably going to make it hard to do well at anything. And here at FBC, we would suggest that your spiritual goals should be first and foremost in your life, and especially in the ways that you raise your kids. And over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to largely be uh, talking about that. Now, I, I just want to say, you know, I have uh, this, like, wealth of experiencing, experience parenting, you know, almost five months, so I'm, like, way into this. So I want to set your minds at ease a little bit and say that I'm not going to be the primary speaker on some of the top uh, parenting stuff over the next over the, next, um, over the next few weeks, so uh, you'll be hearing from some other people, and we hope that it's very helpful for you. Anyways, before we uh, hop into this morning, I uh, just want to invite you guys to pray with me. God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you gave us moms, and that you gave us kids, and that this whole family thing exists, God. Uh, it is such a cool gift from you. I pray that you would help us as a church continue to learn how we can grow in doing family well, and in parenting our kids well, and investing into the next generation well, God. We love you so much. Amen. So in three weeks, uh, we're not going to cover uh, everything to do with parenting. If, I think if you talk to most parents, they'd say in a lifetime you won't figure out everything there is to do with parenting. But we want to talk about a few things. Uh, this morning, uh, we thought it would be cool to just start at like a really basic element and, and talk about something that's kind of generally fairly foundational to parenting, and, and that's marriage. Um, and we believe that marriage is one of the most effective tools that God gives us to parent our kids well. Now, I want to make one more quick acknowledgement there really quickly, because I realize at FBC we have single parents, we have people who have kids and they're in a marriage that's struggling or maybe on the verge of breaking or you've had a broken marriage or, or, or all these different things. Uh, and uh, when I say that marriage is one of the most 
important and effective tools that you have or a very important and effective tool you have. I don't want you to hear me saying that if you don't have that tool that, that you're hooped, that you're, that you're missing out. God can do amazing things through your family. But if you're in a marriage, whether it's doing well or struggling or if you're going to be married one day, um, you know, especially if it starts with the photo booth today, which I expect some commission from the dowries if that happens, um, that it's something that you should invest into well, not just for your sake, not just for your spouse's sake, and not even just because it's biblical, but for the sake of your children as well. Um, and, and maybe you are a single parent, or maybe you have a marriage that's struggling. You have kids that, you know, one day they might get married. And so we believe that focusing on marriage, regardless of where you're at in life, pre-married, post-married, married, whatever, is really important and effective and in, impacts the kids in our entire church community uh, kind of collectively. At FBC, we, we love kids. We are big on kids. Kids are so important to us. Uh, we often say that when we sit down and we're making staff decisions, if, you know, if making the decision this way is maybe better for the adults or making this decision this way is better for the kids and the youth, we, we try to usually skew towards the kids and the youth because we believe as adults we should be the ones that are willing to make sacrifices and to you know, bend and flex for the sake of the next generation for our kids. And we love teaching your kids here at FBC. We, we love it. We have an amazing kids program. I think we have one of the coolest and best kids programs uh, any church could ever offer. And a lot of that, that is because of our amazing volunteers. And um, it, it's awesome getting to teach your kids through that context. But the reality is, is that that's like one hour a week. And your kids exist for 168 hours a week. So what we get to teach them is awesome and effective and important, but it's really small. And the reality is, is that most of their learning comes from you as parents. And that's a good thing. And that's why we want to encourage you as parents to take that role very seriously and to teach your kids well. You are always teaching your kids. I think a lot of times people think that the bulk of their teaching comes from when you're instructing and you're speaking and you're telling your kids, or you're telling people something. But I think the bulk of your kids' learning is probably outside of that. And they're watching if you practice what you preach. I think that your practice probably teaches your kid a lot more then your preaching teaches your kids. They're always watching you and they're always learning from you, the good and the bad. They're learning it and they're learning it from you. And you are the primary resource for your kids to learn about Jesus as parents. And that's good. As a church, we think that that's a good model. We're not, we're not trying to take that away from you. We're trying to complement what you do and help what you do. And, and the reality is, this is a quote from Kara Powell, says, parents, we can't out-teach what you're teaching at home. We're not that good. FBC has an amazing kids program. We have an awesome youth program. We can't out-teach what you're teaching at home. Like I said, in a lot of ways, I think that's good. I hope that they're learning from their parents, from, from their parents to follow Jesus and, and to grow up in awesome ways. And we can't compete with that, and so we hope that's a healthy thing. But if they're learning things that are unhealthy at home, then we also can't compete with that. I mean, by God's grace, sometimes, you know, we can intervene there a bit. But we want to call parents to teach their kids well and recognize that all the time you are teaching your kids. They're watching you. They just learn from you guys. And I believe that your marriage is one of the greatest ways that you will teach your kids about Jesus. Not just by what you tell your kids about Jesus, that's important too, but the ways that you treat your spouse and you run your marriage is going to be one of the greatest ways that your kids are going to learn about Jesus. And I think the reason for that is because that your marriage is one of the most vivid representations of Jesus' relationship with the church here on earth. I'm going to read to you guys from Ephesians 5 if you want to follow along. This is a common passage. You've probably heard it at weddings or whatever, but uh, we're going to read through it together. It says, Wives, 
Submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I know this is like, a, in some ways, a difficult passage. I'm not getting against that because there are different opinions on what this idea of submitting means and if that's just wives or husbands or whatever. But for sure, what's happening here is Paul is setting the foundation for a relationship of respect and, and love and guidance and care, and, and he's... He's, he's talking about marriage here, but we're going to see how he's going, to, uh, he, how he's going to continue to compare the marriage relationship to Jesus' relationship with the church. Continues on, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. This talks about this marriage relationship, how you know, Jesus and the church are almost not a different thing. They are almost one and the same. How the church is his representation of who he is here on earth. And that's the same kind of relationship that Paul is saying it kind of reflects through your marriage, is Jesus in the church. And he continues on, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, he obviously didn't know that millennials were going to exist one day, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Again, there's maybe some... Um, difficult stuff with kind of the gender placements and stuff like that. And if you ever want to discuss that, I'd love to discuss some of the different views around that and all that. But what, what's going on here is Paul's saying, you know, Jesus, Jesus came and he set up the church and he did everything. He gave every aspect of who he was to the church. He served the church. He started the church and he gave his very life for the church. And that is, that is what it should look like in our marriages. The church is Jesus' hub for the gospel. It's his plan, his strategy for the gospel, for his good news to go out to the entire world and save the world. And it's compared to marriages here, and I have to think that within that, you know, you've got this picture of family and how marriage is kind of that same representation, how God's love and his truth and his goodness should be represented through our marriages, and especially, I mean to everyone, but especially immediately to our kids around us. And it's an amazing picture that through that relationship, people can literally experience and see God's goodness. So that in mind, what we've been reading there and, and, and some other stuff in mind, what I want to offer you guys this morning really quickly is four ways to not reflect Jesus through your marriage. I think there are, it, it is so important to reflect Jesus through your marriage to others and to your kids around you. And I want to offer you four ways that you can make sure that you're not doing this. And then hopefully we can avoid these. And when I talk about reflecting Jesus, I mean to the world around you, but especially in this context, we're talking about your kids. Because your kids are like, you know, you get this idea of like big brother, like people watching you all the time. That's what having kids is. You know, kids is really like big brother. You know, people are like observing you all the time. They know what's going on. So it's the first way that you can make sure that you don't reflect Jesus through your marriage is to be selfish. We read in uh, Ephesians 5, to 33 that, uh, you know, this idea of like this mutual respect and submission and love going back and forth and how there's this care and really ultimately this desire for either member in the marriage context to do well. If we're called to love our wives 
Just as Jesus loved the church, we have to remember that Jesus literally died for the church. That everything in us should be about serving our spouse, about putting them before us. If you read Philippians 2, uh, Paul talks about how we should have the same mindset as Christ, who in humility valued others above himself. So we should consider others to be of more value than ourselves. And I think it's really tough. You've been married for a while. You say, well, you know, they stopped doing this. In the early years, they used to do this. This isn't the person I married. Or they do this thing. It really bothers me. And this frustrates me. And this scripture would say, who cares? Don't value yourself above your spouse. Put them first and say, maybe they're doing this, but that's not going to define my behavior. My love for my wife is going to be like that of Jesus's for the church, who regardless of their sinfulness and brokenness laid himself down for them. And this is so important for your kids because I believe that when you show value to your spouse, your kids will understand their own value. Jesus values your kids so much. And you can tell your kids that. You can read some about that. We can tell them at church, and we will. But they'll start to see that and understand that. They're not just going to accidentally wake up one day and be like, oh, I think Jesus really loves me. So they're going to see that and understand that in vivid ways as you show value to your spouse. The second way to not reflect Jesus through your marriage is to be distracted. Life offers so many distractions, so many things to take our eyes off of what's important. And I was talking earlier about having too many goals, even good things, good and healthy goals can sometimes take our eyes off of what's important. If you read Hebrews 12, it starts off and it paints this picture of, you know, it says that we should run the race of life with our eyes fixed on Jesus, kind of this tunnel vision thing, this blinders to everything else, and fix our eyes on Jesus and pursue him in everything forgetting the distractions around us because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith and we should focus on him like that. And I think it's such a cool picture of who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus here on earth was never distracted from his mission. He was always focused on what was most important. You know, it's not like you read stories and Jesus is like, yeah, I know those people need to be healed, but, you know, the, the big game's on, so, like, I just don't really have time. Or I know Lazarus has been dead for four days, I should go raise him, but actually Tuesdays is, like, when I have goat yoga usually, so I can't, like, you know... I, a little tough. He was focused. And I think it's so easy with all the things in life, and sometimes the things that seem good. You know, we all want, all of, all of us, I'm sure, want our kids to be the valedictorian with, a, with an amazing average in school, to be athletic, to play music, to do all these awesome things. But it's just too much. Your kid is just not going to be amazing at everything. Your kid's going to be average at some things, probably pretty good at some things, and less than average in some things. And that's okay. So is your spouse. And so are you. Like, I think about Avra, and I hope that one day she can, like, be athletic and do sports. I mean, especially more so than now. She can't really uh, do anything right now, but it would be great if we started with walking. But I'd love it if one day she does some stuff and, and she's, you know, athletic and stuff. I'd love it if she grew up to play music. I'd love to play music with my daughter. I'd love to record music with her. But, but none of this stuff matters. Like, it'd be great if she did well in school, but none of it matters. At the end of the day, if my daughter loves Jesus, who cares if she's athletic? At the end of the day, who cares? If, as long as she loves Jesus, who cares if my daughter can play music? I mean, even if she can play music and plays, uh, much to my chagrin, like country music or something like that, still, I have to say, who cares if she loves Jesus? It doesn't even matter if she does that well in high school as long as she loves Jesus. She might not get into a good university. You know who else did not get into a good university or any university at all? Jesus. As long as she loves Jesus and follows Jesus, 
It's all that matters. He was focused on his mission. And I think sometimes it's so easy to be distracted by all these peripheral goals and things in the world, and we forget to just focus on what's important, and that's leading our families into growing relationships with Jesus Christ. Hit that one out of the park, and then have some other goals that are good. But let those other ones be willing to flex and compromise and work around that a little bit. Because when you lose sight of what matters most, what matters more matters less. If you lose sight of what matters most, your family will recognize that the things that you say matter more actually matter less to you. They'll know. They'll see right through what you're saying. Third way to make sure that your marriage does not reflect Jesus is to be unmotivated. Getting married is really easy. All you have to do is be on your best behavior for like somewhere between, I don't know, like four months to a year or something like that. You know, find someone who's like, you know, at least somewhat within like your level of like good lookingness and convince them that you should marry, they should marry you. Uh, tell them all the reasons why, act good for a year, and then you get married. That, that's the easy part. Being married is really hard if you want to do it in a healthy Christ-centered way. Having a healthy Jesus-centered marriage is really hard. And I think a lot of times we set our goals so short on, you know, we want to get married, we want to have this epic wedding day, we want to have kids one day. But those are really short-sighted goals. Those aren't even what's important if you read the Bible. What's important is eternity. The Bible calls you to set your sights on eternity. And that's hard work. And that takes a lot of effort. If you're single in this room this morning, if you're not married, and you're not willing to be a motivated, ambitious, hardworking human being, then you should do yourself and people around you a favor and just don't get married because it takes a lot of effort and it's hard work. And if you think that emotions can carry you through a marriage for the rest of your life, just talk to someone who's been married for, I don't know, even like seven weeks. I don't know how long it takes to realize that that's a, that's a huge lie. And you'll find out that that's, that's not true. Marriage is awesome, but it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of commitment. And I think there are kind of like two extremes that people look at this in. You know, a lot of times people say, you know, well, you know, as marriage progresses, you know, after a few years, you just become this kind of unhappy couple that has separate, like, chairs in the living room and you just watch TV for the rest of your lives and it's boring, you don't like each other. And then I think on the other end, there are people who say, well, you need to return to the romance of when you were teenagers and, and have your marriage like that for the rest of your life. And I think that both of those are really untrue. I think that if you're the cranky old couple who just has no interest in each other, then you lack the motivation to actually care about your spouse in the ways that your kids need to see you care about your spouse. But I also think that if you're trying to be like an 18, 19-year-old still who's still figuring out what testosterone and estrogen mean, uh, then I think that you're aiming for something that is, is going to be a bit of a train wreck in your marriage. Things change over time if, you, if you've been married. We, we, Talsi and I have been married for uh, almost eight years, and, and things have changed. The effort level doesn't change. We still need to be pursuing each other and investing in that, but the ways that things play out change. For example, uh, we got married, and uh, shortly into our marriage, I realized that uh, to invest into a healthy, happy marriage, that when it was time to go to sleep, it was really beneficial uh, for our marriage if I would stay on my half of the bed, right? I learned that pretty quickly. Now, seven and a half years later, that's evolved a bit. That's changed a bit. I've discovered that it actually really invests into our marriage even better if I stay on my third of the bed, okay? <laughs> And I'm looking forward to in eight years where I discover that maybe that's a tenth of the bed or like the couch or, you know, Barry's house across the street. Or something. I have this, another example, I have this, uh, this disorder, this dysfunction, I'll call it, or maybe this gift uh, where, uh, you know, my nose and my mouth sometimes when I sing or when I sleep, uh, sing out this beautiful light roar, you know, and I, I just, I see some wives giving dirty looks to their husbands right now. 
I think a lot of people have this superpower. And when we first got married, Talsi discovered, oh, it's on his back that he snores. So she would lovingly wrap her arms around me and gently, without waking me, roll me onto my side or my stomach, and then she'd go back to sleep. You know, seven and a half years later, she's discovered that, you know, her, her view of love in that regard has evolved and has developed a bit. And so she's figured out the threshold, how hard she can kick me in the spine without paralyzing me. Okay? <laughs> I'm picking on her a bit. I'll give you one more example. When we first got married, we would stay up late, as late as she wanted, texting if we weren't together or if we were together talking. She'd tell me about what she's feeling and thinking and stuff like that, and we'd spend hours doing that. I'd listen to, and all that. It was, it was great. Now, seven and a half years later, uh, I bought her a journal, okay? <laughs> I'm just joking about that part. She bought her own journal. <laughs> Your marriage is going to change, but one thing that needs to remain consistent is the effort that you put in. And your kids will see that. And your kids will perceive their value by the way you value your spouse, like I said earlier. And the effort you put in to showing your spouse that you care and love about them is what your kids will understand as the level of effort and, and ambition that you're willing to put into them. They're learning from you all the time. And I really believe that when you decide to coast, your family pays the cost. When you take your foot off the accelerator in life, when you slow down, it's not just, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your family around you, and your family pays the cost when you decide to not put the effort in to continue growing and leading and striving forward with your family. And the last one I want to leave you guys with is, if you want your marriage to not reflect Jesus, please, I am begging you, be unforgiving. If you want an unhealthy marriage, hold on to the sins of the past. Hold grudges. Be bitter. The reality is that when you got married, you married someone who is a broken, struggling, sinful human being. Someone who struggles with sin and selfishness. And the reason you married someone like that is because that's exactly who you deserved to marry. Because that's who you are. But I think we have these unrealistic expectations where we expect our spouse to be more righteous and more perfect and more holy than us. And it's so easy to remember their faults. It's so easy to look past the plank in our eyes and look at the speck in their eye. At FPC, all the time we're teaching you and your family about grace. Your kids are hearing about grace and God's grace from us. They hear about it from us, but they need to see it in the ways that you and your spouse forgive each other and extend grace to each other. And I believe that when you focus on the sins of the past, you sacrifice the future of your marriage. So those are four ways that you can have a marriage that doesn't reflect Jesus. So please do not do those things. Um, here at FPC, we like to talk about things and teach you guys about things as much as we can, but we also like to be practical and offer some uh, programs and tools and stuff that we think will help out. And so we've launched some stuff in the past year, and we want to spend the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes just telling you guys a little bit about that. Um, and we have some amazing volunteers who have stepped up and decided to help in this area of marriages and what we can do here. So I want to get you guys to welcome Darren and Bonnie Rush to the stage as they come up and uh, join us. So I uh, just wanted to have a little bit of conversation with these guys. They're doing some really cool things for marriage around here at FBC, and it's kind of new, and we want to make it more known and all that. Um, so uh, some of you guys know Darren and Bonnie. If you don't, they're awesome. You should get to know them. Um, for those who don't, maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves. You guys, you guys have been married longer than I have, and been, you've had kids. Yeah, I can tell you've had kids for longer than I have because you have less hair than me left. So... Uh, <laughs> We do have a hairdresser daughter who could help you. Oh, with that. I heard that when you bring guests on the stage, it's like helpful to start with an insult. So, Bonnie, you look great. Okay. Um, well, 
you know, the first service, Ryan insulted me for bringing notes. So Ryan, I, I brought no, I notes, no notes this time. No, I didn't mind so the notes. So you, got, you just have to I'm deal with that. Notes, so. All right. Well, uh, if you say something wrong, Bonnie can correct you, I'm sure. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourselves. You guys have been married. Uh, how long have you been doing this marriage thing and this parenting thing? Stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about Well, we're yourself. just newlyweds. We've been married 26 years. Um, See, we're just getting started. <laughs> Wait. I need, to, I need to stop you for a second there, because you just said 26 years, and in first service, Darren said 27 years. I said almost 27. I said oh, this summer okay. it'll be 27. Oh, okay, I, was like, I thought maybe there was like this between services. Well, I normally like, do yeah. ask her what that yeah, number okay. is. That's the safer route to go, but... Yeah, okay, great. Okay, so 20, 26, almost 27 years, and you have kids, and yeah, how long have you been doing uh, that? two girls. We have two daughters. They're 20 and 22, and so... The longer you parent, the less you know. So we know a lot less than you do. I, I know. I know tons. I, like, I, I, I read a blog, so I've got it all figured out. So, okay. You know, I just, I just need to throw a quick story in here. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the first service, I was actually kind of nervous getting up here, I have to admit. It's been a while. Um, this stage used to kind of feel like our second home. Bonnie and I led worship together for more than 20 years, and... And uh, a number of years ago, there was this um, band named Kairos that kind of started showing up around the church here and, and hanging out and doing some stuff. And they were living out at Keith and Diane Wells' place a lot because their son Tyler was part of the band. And, and, uh, and so we knew that they did music. And so we were leading the worship team and we kind of started talking to the staff about maybe getting these Kairos guys involved a little bit. And it's funny because Bonnie, at the time, um, we didn't have a worship pastor and Bonnie was in charge of actually organizing worship teams and helping plan services and all that kind of stuff. And so she went to the staff, and uh, Pastor Tatumu was the lead pastor at that time, and Doug was the executive pastor, so he may have been in on the conversation. She said, yeah, I'd like to get these guys up, and they're going, oh, boy, I don't know. I mean, they're young guys, and they're, I don't, we, don't, we just don't know what they would do if we put them up there. And, I mean, the one, dude's got, the one dude's got long hair. And, we just don't know if we can trust them. And I mean, and now here we sit, and yeah. I mean, Barry's leading worship, and I mean, Ryan, uh, Neil and Barry's preached from this stage, and the long-haired dude's interviewing us. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> Bonnie so, was advocating for them a number of years ago, and now, but please don't blame her. So we're talking about parenting. I guess the, the kind of like takeaway there is that you should learn from the mistakes of the past. Exactly where we're going with that, Ryan. Should have listened so, to Doug's yeah, and Taw's yeah. wisdom there. Yeah, so okay. anyway, sorry, just had to throw that in. No, that's, that's better than what I had prepared. So, um, okay. That's what happens when I throw my notes away. See, yes. the... That's good. Okay, so I've been talking this morning about, I mean, I believe, and I think it's hard to argue with that your marriage really impacts your kids and, and teaches them a lot you know, so how have you guys seen that play out in your marriage and, you know, kind of, yeah, like how have you put that into practice? Well, number one, parents, kids get this. Um, parents, you need to gross out your kids. Lots of PDAs around the house, you know, personal displays of affection. These kids all hate you right now. Yeah, well, that's all right, but deal with it because uh, I think, we think it's important. Um, it's, it's about creating an environment where your kids feel secure in our relationship, right? So that they don't have reason to believe that their parents are in trouble, that their parents, you know, may split up or have those fears. I mean, I grew up in a home where I never saw my parents fight. Yes, they had disagreements and arguments and whatever, but I never heard them raise their voices in anger at each other. Um, and that was important to me. It just, I never, it never once 
do I remember it crossing my mind growing up that my parents might split up or that they might be in trouble. Never even crossed my mind. And to try and um, develop that kind of um, um, a situation for, for your kids, I think, is important. Yeah, that's awesome. So the homework for today is go make out in front of your kids. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Deal with it. Yeah, I, I'm so happy I moved out. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, so uh, I'm so thankful that you guys have decided to get involved in helping with marriages here at our church, and we're going to talk in a few minutes about specifically what that looks like, but maybe you could tell us, you know, what's given you guys the desire to get involved in this area uh, and, and help with marriages in our church? Well, a couple years ago, um, kind of out of the blue, we were approached by a young couple asking to do some premarital counseling, and we did it and enjoyed it, but it was not something we pursued. And then within the same year, we, had, we saw some um, marriages, close friends, close family um, that were really struggling. Some of them fell apart. Some of them went through years of, of struggle. And people were knocking on our door and calling us and saying, help us, we need some help. And we were just like, we don't know what we're doing. It's not like we have any special perfect marriage or anything. Um, but God kept nudging us, knocking us over the head, sometimes pushing us over, saying, do this, do this, do this. And so we um, started pursuing some training and starting, took some courses and things and, and um, just to try and figure out to, um, what to learn some stuff so that we could help these people. And so that's all evolved into what we're doing here in the church now. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's like, like I said, marriage is hard, and one of the greatest evidences of that is how much we're struggling. Like, I mean, uh, marriages are falling apart all the time, and, and I don't think any of us really just want to, like, cure the divorce problem, but we want to see healthy, growing marriages. Um, so this is a big question that probably you could write a thesis on, but what do you guys see as some of the, like, biggest threats or challenges that, like, why, why are we struggling so much? What's, what's, what, what's getting us so bad? Honey, you want to answer that? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you know, know, we're not by any means marriage experts. Um, like I say, like Bonnie just said, we just felt God prodding us to get involved in this area, so we started taking some steps to, to follow his leading. And so, uh, you know, honestly, that is a tough question. There's so many things, and there's so many areas that cause cause trouble in marriages, but just some of the things, I guess, that we've observed in some of the situations come along. I mean, communication, for one, is, is huge. So many problems in marriages come back to just not communicating with each other, and whether that's not giving it the time that it takes because our lives are so busy, we're running so many different directions and got the kids involved in 101 things, and whatever it is, um, we find that people just aren't communicating to where they get to understand each other. And I think that's the key because maybe you communicate, but it's in anger. You're just always telling them what to do or whatever, but it's, it's about communicating in a way to understand the other person, to really understand my wife and what are her needs and what, how did she see this? What's her perspective on this? Um, one, one person I was talking to recently had just kind of experienced that and said with his wife, what he's learned to do is when he makes a statement, um, He's learned to kind of read her reaction, and then he would often follow up the statement he said with, um, what did you just hear me say? Can you, can you relate to that? I, you know, because sometimes we say things, and our spouse takes it 
in a totally different way that we didn't intend. And so it's just that pause and go, okay, hold on, time out. What, when I just said that, what did you hear me say? Say that back to me. And then you, you come to some understanding. Oh, that's not what I meant at all. And so it's just a part of communication. So communication is a huge thing and, and certainly leads to a lot, of, a lot of issues in marriage. And that's tied together with time. Time, just taking time to hmm. get to know your spouse. I, I thought you were going to say when he's about to make a statement, he decides, I'm not going to make a statement, you know? That seems and like a healthy part of Sometimes that yeah. can be the healthy response as well. Yeah. Um, so that's probably one of my biggest issues. I need to learn how to just not say the stuff that's, in, you know, pack that away. Okay. So um, we've started some stuff here. And I, I love how you're talking about communication there because I think that's so huge. And I think one of the struggles is just starting to have some of those conversations, like knowing where to start. And that's hard because we just think we can get married and we'll just magically figure that out somehow. Like all of a sudden we'll just be transplanted with knowledge of, oh, here's how I communicate well with my spouse. And I don't think that's the case. So we started marriage mentoring here at the church. Maybe you guys have seen it on like the slides reel or on the website or a bit like that. But I want to just take a few minutes today and really showcase what we're offering here because we think it's a useful tool that's that's useful for pretty much everybody um, that's that's married, and even to be thinking about if you're not married yet, but maybe tell us a little bit about how marriage mentoring works, kind of who it's for, stuff like that. Well, you know, the biblical model of mentoring, um, we see that. Paul said to um, the Thessalonians, he said, we didn't come just to preach the gospel, but to share our lives with you as well. So this idea that we didn't come to just preach and then sit back and let you do the work, but we're going to get in there, roll up our sleeves, we're going to work alongside you. And, um, and then he said to the Corinthians, follow our example as we follow Christ. And it's that idea of people who love Jesus and are following Jesus. And so they're providing an example for others to follow. So that's, that's the basic idea of mentoring. It's, it's providing an example to follow. And we just did a series recently on sharing your story. And that's, that's really what it's about. It's about the mentors just being willing to share their story, their story of how they're following Jesus and how they're letting that impact their relationships and their, their, their relationship with their spouse and their family and sharing their story with another couple, a, a younger couple, a couple who's a few stages in life behind. So what we do is we, um, for our mentoring here, we have some mentor couples who have been through some training. And um, when we have a couple come to us looking for mentoring, we, we match them up with one of our mentor couples and we find a couple that's, you know, a couple stages in life ahead. You know, they've, they've gone through a few of those stages of parenting or in some cases grandparenting, whatever it may be, but it's uh, somebody a couple stages in life ahead who can just walk beside you, roll up their sleeves, kind of do some life with you. And um, the way it's designed is it's a, it's a, it's a one-year commitment. So there's a beginning and an end. And to some of you, that's, you're probably going, okay, well, that's good. I'm not going to start this thing and then be stuck in it for forever if I don't get along with this couple really, whatever. I mean, I'm just kidding. But uh, there is a beginning and an end to it. And then there's conversations that it guides us through. Um, the mentors have conversation guides. And it's just dealing with those things that come along in life, like finances, like relationships, in-law relationships, dealing with conflict, all those things. And there's 14 different conversations um, that the couples basically choose from as they go through this mentoring process and just meet once a month or it's very flexible. You can design it however works best for both couples involved, but um, it's just kind of having those conversations and doing some life together. Yeah. So it's, it's about once a month and you just hang out. And one thing I love about it is it's just so conversational. Um, when we first started, I looked through the guide and it, really what it is is just hanging out. It's, it's not counseling, like it's, we're not professional. And so 
I think one thing for me, and, and maybe some other people can relate, is you think about the idea of, you know, getting counseling, and it seems like this heavy, uh, I don't know, like some guy's just going to be lecturing you and telling you how screwed up you are and stuff like that, and I just don't need to hear that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But we, uh, this is a lot more conversational. People will call you on stuff, but it's, it's just trying to help you sort through some of that stuff and, and be stronger and stuff like that, and I think that's really cool. Right. Um, uh, you know, most churches have in place some kind of uh, premarital counseling they offer, like usually the pastor that's, that's going to be marrying a young couple will go through some kind of premarital training, counseling, whatever you want to call it, through some sessions with them just to try and prepare them for what's coming. And then churches often have some kind of crisis counseling plan. If you don't have somebody on staff necessarily, they'll refer you to a, a counselor who can deal with the crisis that comes up later in marriage. But there's this gap in the middle. Somewhere between the premarital counseling and the crisis counseling, there's this big gap. And that's what marriage mentoring fills that gap. It comes in between and tries to cut off some of those before they become a crisis. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of times the approach kind of seems like, you know, there's a doctor who, like, helps uh, like, you know, the pastor's kind of like a doctor who kind of gives birth to your marriage, and then, like, the doctor shows up when you're on the brink of death, you know? And there's no, like, focus on health in between, and so I think that's kind of the, the gap that this is trying to fill. So, um, anyways, you guys, uh, you can see this link up here. If you're using the app notes, uh, the link is in there. Uh, you can go there. It takes two seconds to sign up, even if you have questions about it or whatever. Um, it, if you're struggling, for sure sign up, but you don't need to be struggling. You might be young married. You might have been married for 20 years. We can all use some help sometime. We are all fragile and close to struggling no matter where we're at. And so we'd encourage you, no matter where you're at, think about signing up for some marriage mentoring. It's not too intense. It's really awesome. And yeah, thank you guys so much for what you guys do. Let's hear for Darren and Bonnie again. So. Uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap up with communion here. Um, I, uh, when it comes down to it, so much of marriage to me it is so reflective of Jesus's relationship to us in, in the sense that it's all based on commitment. You know, it's all based on this idea of just saying, till death do us part, until one of us leaves this place on, in a body bag, uh, you know, and, and not because the other one put them there, but uh, that's what it's like. And, and same for Jesus. He said, no matter what, I, I'm going to, I'm committed to even, even until it costs me my life. I, I play on this ball hockey team and our team is like average and I am like below average on our team. So I'm definitely below average. So I don't know much about ball hockey, but I've, I've learned a couple things. And one thing I've learned is one of the players that isn't the goalie that one of my jobs is to try to get the ball in the other team's net, which doesn't usually happen. But another thing I can help out with is, is trying to keep the ball from getting shot on our goalie. So that makes sense. We all help play defense. Uh, playing defense is pretty easy when the ball's in the other team's end. It's also pretty easy when we have control of the ball. Defense gets really hard when the ball's in our end and a player on the other team that's right in front of you is about to, winding up to take a big slap shot. Because most of us, what we want to do is we get in front, we're like, I'm going to block the shot. And as they're winding up for the slap shot, you do the kind of like cringe and turn thing, kind of thinking, oh, maybe the tip of my stick as I'm backwards will kind of hit the ball and I'll be a hero and stuff. But really what that is, is that showing our lack of commitment. And it makes sense because it hurts. That ball hurts. And when commitment actually shows up in our relationships and our marriage, it's usually in times that it hurts. It's easy to be committed when things are good, when your spouse is acting the way you want them to, but when things get tough, that's when commitment actually shows up. And that's, that's when it inflicts wounds and inflicts scars. And that's so true for Jesus. He stood right in front of that slap shot and he said, I'm not going to turn, I'm not going to waver. This might cost me my life, but I'm going to do whatever it takes. Even though sin is demanding your eternity, I'm going to do whatever it takes to save you guys. And, and that is an amazing thing. And I hope that that's a picture that we can take forward in our marriages. I'm going to call the communion servers.